Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for March 20th, 2022. My name is David Johnson. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here at Samanach Baptist Church. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., we have in-person worship gatherings where we sing together, we break bread together, we have fellowship together. Would love to invite you if you're local and you do not have a local congregation to come and join our in-person gatherings. This online gathering is going to be called to worship here in a few moments by a reading from Psalm 63, verses, excuse me, one through eight. A couple of announcements. First, uh, during this Lenten season, we are collecting offerings that will support Bruce and Linda Thomas's efforts to support Ukrainian refugees in Poland. If you would like to help us support them as they are housing refugees, as they are feeding them and providing them a refuge, um, you can make checks out to Samanach Baptist Church. And if you put Ukraine in the memo line, uh, those gifts will go directly to them. Also, Midday Bible Study continues to meet on Mondays. That's tomorrow. We gather at 1 p.m. in our fellowship hall as we continue our exploration of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And then finally, on Wednesday, we have our midweek Bible study with Sandwich Church of the Nazarene at Sandwich Church of the Nazarene at 6 p.m. It's a delightful time to get together to talk about the things that make us different, but more importantly, to have conversations about things that make us one. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, call us to worship. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and power. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. This is God's word. Let us pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was tempted in every way as we are yet did not sin, by his grace we are able to triumph over every evil 
and to live no longer for ourselves alone, but for him who died for us and rose again. King Jesus, we long to behold your power and glory. We ask you to open our lips that our mouths might praise you because your steadfast love is better than life. We want to bless you as long as we live. We endeavor to lift our hands and call on your name. We long to say with the psalmist that you have satisfied our souls as with a rich feast. Be our help as we find you to be our refuge in the shadow of your wings. We remember before you our Russian and Ukrainian brothers and sisters who need your mercy, who need your refuge, who need your protection. May their souls cling to you as your right hand upholds them. May our souls cling to you as your right hand upholds us. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the Gospels this morning comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Let us pray. King Jesus, you committed no sin. King Jesus, no deceit was ever found in your mouth. With the psalmist, we come to you, Lord, confessing that you are our light, you are our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Our souls are waiting for you, God. 
our help and our shield, we find ourselves in wildernesses of our own making and those others have made. But yet in the wilderness, our hearts, we confess with the psalmist, are glad in you, Lord, because we trust in your holy name. We have so much to be thankful for. We thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you for being a God who created the world that he might share his presence with us. We thank you that when we distorted and corrupted the world that you have made, you did not cast us off, but you chose to enter into this disordered, fallen world so that you could be with sinners, us, and transform us back into the image of your son, the image for which we have been designed. So while we wait for you to restore all things, we ask that your steadfast love, O Lord, would be upon us even as we wait for you. Attentive God, we bring our prayers to you because we trust you to protect us and provide for us in your mercy. Lord, hear our prayer. You are the stronghold of our lives. So we pray for ourselves and those dear to us. Father, for those who need your son to be the physician of their souls, their bodies, their minds, their hearts, we ask you to show mercy to them. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. The psalmist tells us that you relieve the troubles that weigh our hearts down. We ask you to help us to discern what those troubles are, that we might give those troubles to you. We also remember before you those in our community and our neighbors who find their hearts troubled with sickness, with conflict in family, with conflict at work, with stresses and anxieties and depression, with chronic pain. We remember them before you in your mercy. Lord, hear our prayer. You look with favor on the faithful we pray for the church in all places, and especially the church in Ukraine and Russia, that we with them may bear witness to your reign of justice, peace, and joy. Look with favor upon Samanach Baptist Church. Deliver us from anything that disrupts our unity. Deliver us from apathy from lukewarmness, deliver us from anything that would keep us from bearing with one another in love. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. 
Lord Jesus, you reveal the God who has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. So we pray for the world, for all who are ensnared in greed, violence, and oppression. We remember before you those who are poor, who are oppressed in Russia and Ukraine. Sustain them, protect them. We pray against the evil that President Putin is inflicting. We ask you in your mercy to stop the evil in which he is engaging. May the churches continue to bear witness to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God, our only hope, you seat us at table with our enemies. That makes us afraid sometimes. So at that table, we ask you to feed us that our bread may be to do your will in the strength of your son who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Luke 13, our gospel reading, is the text that I want us to pay attention to again together today. The title of my sermon this morning is Repentance for All. When I was about eight years old, someone from our classroom took an extra piece of candy. That second grade student may or may not have been me. I've told this story before. I don't need to confuse you with the gory details. If I ever run for office, I'm sure it will come out in the press. But of all the things I remember about that experience, the, the investigation, the general punishment for the whole class, the questioning, the vulnerability, the guilt, the shame, the fear, the getting away with it. I also recall the behavior of my innocent friends. Some were angry, others were indifferent, but over most of them, a cloud of paranoia either folded or floated above them or even descended upon them and enveloped them. This was strange to me because I knew I was guilty. What did they have to worry about? They weren't in danger of getting in trouble. They had no threat of demerits, detention, or the worst of all, the teacher making a phone call to their parents. That was my emotional scenario. But the question remains, why were they worried? Why were they paranoid? Now that makes me wonder what past transgression they had concealed and for how long. When, when someone else's brokenness that they have been trying to conceal is forced out into the open, it can make us sick to our stomachs. We feel what I call an uncomfortable empathy. We feel vulnerable 
Our heart rate might increase a bit. We, we might notice our stomach and, and shoulders tighten slightly. Why is that? Because each of us has memories from our past that we would prefer stay hidden. Something from our childhoods, even if we are not to blame. A poor choice from our teenage years, or maybe something we did in college. Was life in the dorms for us free of mistakes? What about your life as an adult? A job you lost, a marriage that didn't make it. Regrets we have in how we raised our children, maybe a sin from last week or even this morning. These are things we actively try to keep secret. And when someone else's secrets rise to the surface and there's nothing we can do to keep them from overflowing and making a mess everywhere, it's like when you're at a house other than your own and you flush the toilet and the water, instead of falling, begins to rise. Have you been there? What's even worse is there's no plunger where plungers are supposed to be. Where do plungers belong? They belong right next to the toilet. But that feeling of water rising, no plunger, desperately wondering what to do, is the feeling we experience when the sins of others they have tried to keep hidden are displayed for all to see. At that very time, writes Luke. That's how we know those who ask Jesus these questions in our text this morning are experiencing the kind of twisted stomach we've just described. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. I wonder if, if those present that day as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem came to Jesus with this very important question, but a question that was at least in part designed to deflect away from the vulnerability that Jesus' previous sayings have created. Chapter 12 comes before chapter 13, and that chapter is all about coming judgment. Listen to verses 1 to 3. He began to speak first to his disciples. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is, their hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. That feeling creates vulnerability in us, a similar vulnerability when we see someone else's secrets against their will rise to the surface. Verses 35 and 36, listen up. Be dressed for action, Jesus says, and have your lamps be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes 
and knocks, a warning to be ready, be dressed for action. One more passage, verses 57 to 59. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Thus, when you go with your accuser before a magistrate, on the way, make an effort to settle the case, or you may be dragged before the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Readiness, according to Jesus, is keeping relationships at peace. As Jesus promises in chapter 12, with image after image, that the Son of Man is coming to judge at an hour we do not expect, the pit in those who are listening stomachs, the hearers' stomachs are are tightening, and and that, that pit is growing the more Jesus offers warnings. Jesus says, nothing secret that will not become known. Every secret will be unveiled that day. Jesus pauses to take a breath at the end of chapter 12. And I think what happens is some of those present interrupt him with a question out of nowhere. They kind of want him to change subjects because it doesn't feel good. This interruption of chapter 13 reminds me of that meal scene from the Christmas story. Ralphie wants to work into the table conversation, an opportunity to ask for Christmas for what? A Red Ryder BB gun. Out of nowhere, he blurts out. Flick said he saw some grizzly bears down by Pulaski's candy store. Ralphie's mom and dad pause, look at their son, look at each other, and then just carry on with their own conversation. Similarly, in Luke 13, Someone in the crowd interrupts the conversation of second coming and judgment to follow by blurting out, "Um, have you heard about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices? Apparently sometime in the first century, Pilate had murdered some Jews from Galilee while they were offering their sacrifices and the blood of those murdered and the animals they were sacrificing could not be distinguished. Jesus pauses, looks at the questioner, looks at the disciples and says, okay, we can talk about that. Let's notice just a couple of things in our text this morning. First, Jesus wants us to stop playing the comparison game, especially when it comes to how we regard sin. Jesus won't let us use phrases like more or worse than. The literal translation of Jesus' words is something like, speaking of the Galileans, do you suppose they became sinners more than all the Galileans? Jesus doesn't like that word more. Jesus refutes the equation we are often tempted to make that when something bad happens, it must mean that sin is being punished. Job's friend Eliphaz, can you say that with me, Eliphaz? thought this way. In Job 4, 7 to 9, Eliphaz says to Job, think now, you know, Job, he has suffered, gotten sick, lost family members, lost property, lost wealth. Eliphaz thinks he knows why. Think now, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, Eliphaz says, Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. 
By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. Those words by the narrator are chosen intentionally because it was a wind that had killed Job's loved ones. And Eliphaz thinks God blew that wind. According to Jesus, Job's friend Eliphaz was wrong. Furthermore, the narrator of Job believes he was wrong as well. Job is described as never having done anything to deserve what happens. So Eliphaz is this, is this antagonist that we're supposed to read and say, shut up, Eliphaz, you're wrong. Most times when disaster falls, it's almost become predictable. Well-known preachers get on the radio or television and have the audacity to say Jesus is wrong and Eliphaz was right. That's not what they literally say, but their words reveal that that's what they believe. After 9-11, Jerry Falwell declared that God was judging this nation and he proceeded to blame those he characterized as other sinners. After the 2010 earthquake and tsunami that ravaged the island of Haiti, Pat Robertson got on television and declared God was judging Haiti and he proceeded to blame other sinners. Jesus disagrees. Instead, Jesus trains us when it comes to conversations about sin, transgression, offense. Jesus prefers to use the word all. Listen again to Luke 13, 1 to 5. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. In these five verses, notice how many times the word all is used. How many? Four times Jesus uses the word all. All of us are sinners. Did you hear that? All of us are sinners. And part of coming to grips with that reality, that's something, especially in our tradition, we've been memorizing since we were children. But for Jesus, if you have truly come to grips with that reality, you will learn as Jesus disciples us how to stop comparing their sin to my sin. Jesus wants us to learn how, to re, how not to regard their sin as worse than mine. Jesus says, no, unless you repent, you will all perish. Second, notice that Jesus is still interested in fruit. The parable he tells in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 are designed to say that, that Jesus, when he is followed, will produce fruit, and he is the way for the people of God to be fruitful even on the day of judgment. Judgment will come, and those who will be regarded as fruitful on that day 
will be those, according to Jesus, who admitted and came to grips with their own sinfulness, who owned their sin, who confessed their sin to God and each other, who stopped thinking that God expects us to be perfect and learned instead that God wants us to be humble and honest. Beloved, I'm going to go there. Let's have a conversation about Donald Trump. Not about his policies or his official performance as president, but about his attitude. A number of times during his four years in the White House, I thought to myself, if he could just be a little humble, if he would just apologize, admit it when he made a mistake, I think he would do a lot better. When he said something like, I don't think I have anything to ask forgiveness for, as Christians, we should really struggle to hear a leader say that. Earlier, we discussed how bad it feels when someone else's sins get revealed against their will. Something that needs to happen, but it still makes us uncomfortable. Yes? That feels bad. Do you know what feels good? Do you know what feels liberating? Do you know what feels admirable? When someone admits they made a mistake. When someone owns their sin, when somebody has the humility to say, that was not my best effort. I was wrong. Just like umpire Jim Joyce did on June 2nd, 2010. With two outs in the bottom of the ninth, Armando Galarraga was one out away from history. A perfect game. 27 batters. 27 outs, outs. A ground ball to the first baseman. Galarraga, as he's supposed to, covers first. It's an awkward play, but not even a bang-bang play. Replays revealed it wasn't even that close. Not until after the game did the umpire Jim Joyce even consider he might have made a mistake. As soon as he saw the replay, He called a press conference. With colorful language, he admitted his mistake. He made zero excuses. He even described how significant his missed call was. I robbed that kid of history. And I can't explain how bad that makes me feel. I am sorry. That is probably one of the classiest moments I have ever witnessed in baseball. There is something liberating, enlightening, healing about the experience of honestly admitting that I am the chief of sinners, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Forgiveness happens in our life with God so we can be transformed not because we are transformed. Let me say that again. Forgiveness happens so we can be transformed, not because we are transformed. We are given a prayer of confession in Psalm 51. 
In verses 10 to 13 of that psalm, the prayer goes this way. Create in me a clean heart and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. That's kind of the summary of what the previous nine verses have been about. Asking for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, owning sin, asking for forgiveness. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. The ways of God are to come to sinful people and forgive them. And then when they do, there is always a, then I will. Teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Beloved, God comes to sinners with forgiveness. That draws the sinners back to God. He transforms them so that we, just like the, the, the outline of Luke 13, we can become fruitful people. Forgiveness happens so we can be transformed, not because we can be transformed. This theme of forgiveness so that we may be transformed is captured well by the devotional lives of the pilgrims. The two books the pilgrims brought with them on the Mayflower were the King James Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. Every morning and evening we read in this devotional book that they, as faithful Christians, would practice a liturgy of confession every morning and every evening. And I would like to close with their prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. King Jesus, we confess to you that we are sinners. We confess to you that through your life, death, resurrection, you have atoned for our sin. And you invite us to return to you. May all who hear my voice find the healing and the liberation that comes from admitting our mistakes, for admitting that we are sinners. And may we hear the good news that in the name of Jesus, you come to us in mercy and forgiveness and then set us free to delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering. I now invite you to receive our final benediction. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. And all of us said together, amen.
May grace and peace and everything good be yours in King Jesus.